This is Courage Cast. Faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Well, hey, friends, this is Eric, and you're listening to another episode of Courage Cast. I'm outside just finishing a walk here in the neighborhood, probably still even a little bit out of breath, but um, I wanted to share an article that I couldn't wait to get in front of the big microphone to talk about. Um, it's an article that Elizabeth Taylor shared on her Facebook uh, profile. And I just really, really thought the world of it. I thought it was perfect for the Courage cast. And so I just, I, I want to read from it. Um, if you remember, Elizabeth is the one that we had on the podcast. She um, has multiple sclerosis. And uh, I think the world of her and her family. So um, uh, I think this is a great, great thing for us to use to guide our lives. The title of the article is, Why You Should Aim for 100 Rejections a Year. An article by Kim Lyo, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name right, uh, but it's on flipping your perspective on submissions and failing best. She is an author. Okay, so here is what she had to say. Last year, I got rejected 43 times by literary magazines, residencies, and fellowships, my best record since I started shooting for getting 100 rejections per year. It's harder than it sounds, but it's also more gratifying. In late 2011, a writer friend was sharing her experiences of having months of uninterrupted writing time at her residencies at the Malay Colony, Ragdale, and Yaddo. I was staggered by her impressive rates of acceptance. You probably have one of those friends, too. You know, the one I'm talking about, that friend who is a beautiful writer who also seems to win everything. I could barely believe that she had the balls to apply to, let alone get accepted to, several residencies, a prestigious fellowship, and publications in journals I had actually heard of. I asked her what her secret was, and she said something that would change my professional life as a writer. Collect rejections. Set rejection goals. I know someone who shoots for 100 rejections in a year, because if you work that hard to get so many rejections you're sure to get a few acceptances too. This small piece of advice struck a deep chord in my fragile creative ego. My vulnerable ego only wants to be loved and accepted, to have my words ring out from the loudspeaker in Times Square while a neon ticker scrolls the text across a skyscraper. But it's a big old coward. My ego resists mustering up the courage to submit writing to literary magazines, pitch articles, and apply for grants, residencies, and fellowships. Yet these painful processes are necessary evils if we are ever to climb out of our safe but hermetic cocoons of isolation and share our writing with the world. Perhaps aiming for rejection, a far more attainable goal, would take some of the sting out of this ego-bruising exercise, which so often feels like an exercise in futility. In the book Art and Fear, authors David Bales and Ted Orland describe a ceramics class in which half of the students were asked to focus only on producing a high quantity of work, while the other half was tasked with producing work of high quality. For a grade at the end of the term, the quantity group's pottery would be weighed, and 50 pounds of pots would automatically get an A, 
whereas the quality group only needed to turn in one, albeit perfect, piece. Surprisingly, the works of highest quality came from the group being graded on quantity because they had continually practiced, churned out tons of work, and learned from their mistakes. The other half of the class spent most of the semester paralyzed by theorizing about perfection, which sounded disconcertingly familiar to me, like all my cases of writer's block. Being a writer sometimes feels like a paradox. Yes, we should be unswerving in our missions to put passion down on paper, unearthing our deepest secrets and most beautiful bits of humanity. But then, later, each of us must step back from those raw pieces of ourselves and critically assess, revise, and brace yourself, sell them to the hungry and unsympathetic public. Samuel Beckett wrote, Fail, fail again, fail better. I started submitting essays to literary magazines the summer after my first year of graduate school. My mentor, a gentle and encouraging nonfiction writer, presented it simply, take a manila envelope, put your essay in it, add a self-addressed stamped envelope, and write a very simple cover letter with your name and information in it. Give it a shot. Maybe not the New Yorker, but the next tier of journals. A friend with ambitious aspirations disagreed. Always submit to the New Yorker, Tin House, the Paris Review. Why not? You have nothing to lose. I see it as a challenge. The minute AG&I rejects me, I send them something else that day. I bought a roll of stamps, a box of manila envelopes. I submitted to journals I had heard of, Tin House, the Iowa Review, Guernica, and was soundly rejected by them. My heart would jump when I saw my own handwriting on the self-addressed stamped envelope and then sink when I tore open the envelope only to find a form rejection slip. But sometimes it would jump again if I saw any drop of a reader or editor's pen ink on it. Thanks, try us again sometime, or sorry, not for us, were the comments from one desperate creative soul in the world to another. Ink drops on form rejection slips were splashes of hope. Since I've started aiming for rejections, not acceptances, I no longer dread submitting. I don't flinch much when I receive inevitable form rejection emails. Instead of tucking my story or essay apologetically into a bottle and desperately casting it out to sea, I launch determined air raids of submission grenades, five or ten at a time. I wait for the rejections, line up my next tier of journals, and submit again. Last year, I got rejected 43 times, but I also got five acceptances, one to a residency, one to a reading series, and three publications in literary journals. Additionally, to my delight, I received six encouraging rejections from really great journals inviting me to send them something else. At the recent AWP conference in Los Angeles, I stopped by the Sycamore Review table to thank the editors for their two encouraging rejections last year. We laughed about how encouraging rejections are almost better for the soul than acceptances. The thrill of an acceptance eventually wears off, but the quiet solidarity of an encouraging rejection lasts forever, one editor said. Absolutely, I agreed. I mean, you guys have been sending me form rejections for years. When I told an editor at Fourth Genre that I placed the essay they had encouragingly rejected in Volume 1, Brooklyn, she was thrilled. I really liked your essay, she said. I'll look it up right now. If I had gone into last year shooting for five acceptances, it would have felt way too ambitious. I would have approached submitting timidly or not taken chances on big-name journals or competitive fellowships. Even admitting to my numbers 
which live in my very private, crazily annotated and color-coded Excel spreadsheet, makes me worry that I won't be able to top my rejection record in 2016. But hey, I'm going to start looking for agents as soon as I finish my novel, and I hear they love to reject people. The great news is that in the writing life, there's always something or someone new to get rejected by. In the towering waves of slush, be it high tide or low tide, my own modest submission is out there, like a tiny sailboat, bobbing afloat, perhaps bringing me closer to land. So what a great article and a great reminder about this concept of collecting rejections. Have you ever thought about it that way? I'm married to a very creative person. I'm married to a writer. Chrissy writes probably a hundred songs a year, if not more. And do you know how many of those songs actually get cut by somebody and get used? Maybe five. Maybe five to ten. We've had a good year if we get five to ten cuts from those hundred songs. And that's, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. So, and I also loved the, 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 um, the study that was done on the students that were all about quantity. And the more quantity, the more they produced, the more they churned out, actually produced the quality that they were looking for. And I was just thinking about this this morning. My wife writes these hundreds of songs in her lifetime. She's going to write thousands of songs in her lifetime. And I was just listening to a song that she wrote in 2009, before she's written hundreds and hundreds of more songs. And I just really noticed the quality of that song versus the quality of the songs that she's writing now is so much better. And I literally just wrote her a note and I told her that. I couldn't believe how great her songs are now compared to what they were. And that, that was even a really good song. It was a song she wrote for our daughter, but for her dedication. And it was, it was amazing. It's a beautiful song. But just the quality of the lyrics and the way that she writes and sings a melody, there's just something more polished and, and finer and, and sweeter and, and, and more better quality. Than, than it was seven years ago. And so, may that be an encouragement to you. You might be a creative person. I kept thinking about Leonardo Ramirez, who is in our courageous community, and I know he's a sci-fi writer. And you might be, you might be a creative person, and, and you might be holding back your gifts, and you might, you might be holding back to protect your fragile ego. This gives you the freedom to not protect your ego anymore. You don't have to. Start collecting rejections. It's a beautiful concept. There's freedom in that. I love that. I believe that's God-breathed and, and God-inspired. Scripture talks about being fruitful and multiplying and having a quiver full of children. Now, I'm not saying you can just go ahead and have hundreds of children. That's not my, that's not my point. But, but the songs that Chrissy writes are like little children to her. They're like giving birth to another child and another, another thing. And, and, and it's, it's part of the thing that's in us. We, we long to be creators because we long to be like our creator. And it's good. God wants us to create. Or you might be in doing doTERRA like the rest, like a lot of us are in this group. You might be in network marketing, in direct sales, and you might have a passion to share 
oils with others, or you might have a passion to share a product with others in a direct sales type of way, and you might be working in that field. Well, the way you deal with rejection all the time, so the way to, to overcome that is to begin looking at it from the perspective of collecting rejections rather than being afraid to share because of getting rejected. Do you see the difference? Do you see why I'm so inspired by this? I hope you are, friends. I hope this has been uh, been interesting to you and, and just a, a different perspective that you're that you're excited about that can maybe uh, give you a, a, a new way of approaching your days in whatever it is that you're trying to pursue and whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. You are amazing, friends. I am blown away by the quality of people that are in this courageous community. And I'm humbled to do this podcast, and I'm excited to hear your reaction to this message in the Courageous Community at CourageousCommunity.com. Go ahead and go there and discuss on the Facebook group. Uh, share with me. Talk talk about this on SpeakPipe. I'd love to hear your voices and get more people on this podcast. Uh, you'll be hearing more and more people on this podcast soon. Well, that's it for me, friends. I'm Eric Nordoff, and I'll be back again on another episode of CourageCast. Cast.